Okay, so Numbers 14, verse 11. And the Lord said unto Moses, How long will this people provoke me? And how long will it be ere they believe me? For all the signs which I have shewed among them, I will smite them with the pestilence, and disinherit them, and will make of thee a greater nation, and mightier than they. And Moses said unto the Lord, Then the Egyptians shall hear it. For thou broughtest up this people, and thy might, from among them. And they will tell it to the inhabitants of this land. For they have heard that thou, Lord, art among this people, that thou, Lord, art seen face to face, and that thy cloud standeth over them, and that thou goest before them by a daytime in a pillar of a cloud, and in a pillar of fire by night. Now if thou shalt kill all this people as one man, then the nations which have heard the fame of thee will speak, saying, Because the Lord was not able to bring this people into the land which he sware unto them. Therefore he hath slain them in the wilderness. And now I beseech thee, let the power of my Lord be great, according as thou hast spoken, saying, The Lord is long-suffering and of great mercy, forgiving iniquity and transgression, and by no means clearing the guilty, and visiting the iniquity of the fathers upon the children unto the third and fourth generation. Pardon, I beseech thee, the iniquity of this people, according unto the greatness of thy mercy, as thou hast forgiven this people from Egypt even until now. And the Lord said, I have pardoned according to thy word. But as truly as I live, all the earth shall be filled with the glory of the Lord. Because all those men which have seen my glory and my miracles, which I did in Egypt and in the wilderness, and have tempted me now these ten times, and have not hearkened to my voice, surely they shall not see the land which I swear unto their fathers, neither shall any of them that provoked me see it. Uh, Now I want to go into a word of prayer. God, Father, be with me tonight, Lord. Uh, Get me out of the way, and have your will be done. Have the message go as according to you, as you've laid on my heart, Lord. Uh, Thank you for this day, Lord. Uh, Thank you for getting the document working. Uh, Thank you for the notes, Lord. Help me not to be restricted by the notes, but help me to be full in your spirit, Lord, and help me not to quench it tonight. In Jesus' name, amen. Amen. First, I want to start off going a little bit of introduction. Since everyone uh, wasn't here last time that I did the message, there's a lot of different faces. So I want to do a similar introduction I did uh, last time I was preaching and but first I want to uh, explain a start off with these 10 times I'm not going to go over all of them I'm just going to go over a few of them to show a little bit of the picture of the children of Israel and the thing is God was not exaggerating when those 10 times there's actually 10 times found from Exodus to this point that of Israel as a nation sinning against God as a nation I will go through a few of them, but not all of them, because I don't want to take three hours of everyone's time just going through all ten of them. But let's discuss how the children of Israel got to this point. First, the children of Israel were in bondage 
to the Egyptians. And the Egyptians made the children of Israel to serve with rigor. Exodus 1.13. Next, the freedom of the children of Israel. And it came to pass at the end of 430 years, even the selfsame day it came to pass, that all the hosts of the Lord went out from the land of Egypt. They went across the Red Sea, and then the Hebrews went through the wilderness and made it to Mount Sinai. But first, I want to take the look at the first sin that Israel got reported to as a nation found in the Bible. And this was when they were crossing the Red Sea. Notice, it did not take them very long to go against the Lord. And uh, Exodus 14, 10 through 12. And when Pharaoh drew nigh, the children of Israel lifted up their eyes, and behold, the Egyptians marched after them, and they were sore afraid. And the children of Israel cried out unto the Lord. And they said unto Moses, Because there was no because there were no graves in Egypt, thou hast hast thou taken us away to die in the wilderness? Wherefore hast thou dealt thus with us to carry us forth out of Egypt? Is this not the word that we did tell thee in Egypt, saying, Let us alone, that we may serve the Egyptians? For it hath been better for us to serve the Egyptians than that we should die in the wilderness. That's what the children of Israel are saying. They did not think that they were going to be able to get across the Red Sea safely and not have the Egyptians uh, destroy them and kill them. They had a struggle of doubt in God being able to deliver them. And they believed that God could not do it. And so that was their first sin, their lack of trust in God. And there are two instances of disobedience found to God's command in Exodus 16 after they were complaining about the lack of food. Uh, God gave them quail and bread from heaven, which is called manna, and required certain instructions about the manna. Uh, one was to gather twice as much on the sixth day and not to gather at all on the seventh day because it was considered the day of rest. And some Israelites did not listen to God and they did not obey and they tried to gather on the seventh day and they found no manna on the ground. And then, while they were going through the wilderness, before the, they were sentenced to 40 years, as they were going to Mount Sinai, they had their, in Mount Sinai, and at that time, one of the, they received their commandments, one of them being the infamous Ten Commandments, which is found in Exodus 20. And there were also sorrows, and there's, uh, them having examples of being sinful, as found in Exodus 32. Exodus 32 is the golden calf, where they decide to uh, worship idols instead of worshiping God. And this showed that they had a struggle of worshiping idols. And they had a struggle of putting God first in their life. And they filled it with other things. And Exodus 32, 8-9 says, They have turned aside quickly out of the way which I, have, which I commanded them. They have made them a molten calf, and have worshipped it, and have sacrificed thereunto, and said, These be thy gods, O Israel, which have brought thee up out of the land of Egypt. And the Lord said unto Moses, I have seen this people, and behold, it is a stiff-necked people. In Numbers 10, we, they talk, mentions the first approach to the promised land, 
And another struggle with the children of Israel is that they were huge complainers. As I've already mentioned once before, five of the things, there's five times that the children of Israel found themselves complaining even up to this point. And so five of their transgressions were just complaining. Five out of their ten. I won't go over them because, as I said earlier, we don't have all day to mention all of them. But I just want to do the one in Numbers 11, 1 through 2. And when the people complained, it displeased the Lord. And the Lord heard it, and and his anger was kindled. And the fire of the Lord burnt among them, and and consumed them that were in the uttermost parts of the camp. And the people cried unto the Lord. And when Moses prayed unto the Lord, the fire was quenched. These people repeatedly found themselves complaining. And I will say the same same thing I said last time. This sermon isn't about complaining, but I want to ask the question, how often do you find yourselves complaining about what is going on in your life instead of praising God? God doesn't like complainers. In 1 Corinthians 10.10, he says, Neither murmur ye, as some of them also murmured, and were destroyed of the destroyer. Numbers 13 goes into the scouting and the spying of the promised land. The Lord commanded so. In Numbers 13, 1 through 2, And the Lord spake unto Moses, saying, Send thou men, that they may search the land of Canaan, which I give unto the children of Israel. Of every tribe of their fathers shall ye send a man, every one a ruler among them. Men were sent to search the promised land, and they were commanded by God to do so. And then they brought back an evil report of the land. Numbers 13, 32. And they brought up an evil report of the land, which they had searched unto the children of Israel, saying, The land, though, which we have gone to search it, is a land that eateth up the inhabitants thereof. And all the people that we saw in it are men of great stature. Next, this, this is the sin that, this was the tenth one. And this is what leads us to where we get to this point in Numbers 14, 11, 23. This is Numbers 14, 1 through 10, which is what I preached on last time. And Numbers 14, 2. And the children of Israel murmured against Moses and against Aaron. And the whole congregation said unto them, Would God that we had died in the land of Egypt? Or would God we had died in the wilderness? The lack of trust in God to deliver them and next is the disobedience and the rebellion from God. Uh, what Joshua and Caleb said to them. This is what they said to him when they were decided to rebel. Only rebel not ye against the Lord. Neither fear ye the people of the land. For they are bred for us. Their defense is departed from them. And the Lord is with us. Fear them not. Everyone here in this room would agree with the statement that the children of Israel were sinners. They trusted not in the Lord, and they feared the situation more than trusting in the Lord. They disobeyed the commandments that God gave them. They complained against God. They committed idolatry, which is the worshiping of an idol instead of God. They did not put God first in their heart. And they started a rebellion against God. But I think we are just like the children of Israel. 
in terms of being sinners. We have all sinned against God. Romans 3.23 tells us that simply and plainly. For all have sinned and come short of the glory of God. So God's, first I want to point out, God's anger with unbelief. 11 through 12. And the Lord said unto Moses, How long will this people provoke me? And how long will it be ere they believe me? For all the signs which I have showed among them, I will smite them with the pestilence and disinherit them and will make of thee a greater nation and mightier than they. God is tired of their unbelief. He is provoked. He is angry about it because they have disobeyed him so many times. And he is just tired of their unbelief that he is willing to tell Moses that he's willing to make a greater nation of Moses. And I believe that right here, God was testing Moses. He was testing to see how would Moses react. I believe this was a test for Moses. That's my personal opinion right there on why he said that to Moses. But God says he is willing to destroy them. And guess what? God gets provoked of us for our unbelief and for us sinning against him. He gets provoked of our sin. He is angry with our sin. And due to the sin, which has separated us from God, just like it separated Israel from God, we are separated from God because of sin. God is holy and God is perfect. God has done no wrong. There's no sin in God. And because of this, we share the same separation that the children of Israel shared. Romans 6.23, for the wages of sin is death, but the gift of God is eternal life through Jesus Christ our Lord. There's a death that separates us from the kingdom of God. And it is an eternity in hell. But there's a gift because there's an intercessor. That's right. That bridges the gap between God and us, which is Jesus Christ. And here, there's a picture of the intercessor found in Moses right here. Moses shows as a picture. And 13:15, and Moses said unto the Lord, Then the Egyptians shall hear it, for thou broughtest up this people, and thy might from among them. And they will tell it to the inhabitants of this land, for they have heard that thou, Lord, art among this people that thou, Lord, art seen face to face, and that thy cloud standeth over them, and that thou goest before them by daytime in a pillar of a cloud, and, and a pillar of fire by night. Now if thou shalt kill all this people as one man, then the nations which have heard the fame of thee will speak, saying, Moses here serves as a picture of something greater to come. He serves as a small picture of Jesus Christ. He shares a picture of the Messiah, Jesus Christ, right here. The Egyptians and the inhabitants of this land have heard about the God of Israel. They have heard about it because there's been so many wonders done in this to the children of Israel. They have been blessed to see God working in their lives. And we have the same blessing, too. We get to see God working in our lives. And 16 would be the inhabitants and the Egyptians. This is what this would be their response. If all, if all the people would have been killed because the Lord was not able to bring this people into the land, which he swear unto them. Therefore, he, he hath slain them in the wilderness. Moses, 
is basically saying these people will question God's faithfulness if he kills the people. These people have heard about the power of the Lord. They will question how powerful is God. It also shows of the inhabitants what they actually think of God. They think he's a weak God if they would be willing to say that. And then next, the request for mercy. And now, I beseech thee, let the power of my Lord be great, according as thou hast spoken, saying, The Lord is long-suffering, and of great mercy, forgiving iniquity and tra- transgression, and by no means clearing the guilty, visiting the iniquity of the fathers upon the children unto the third and fourth generation. God's traits. That's what I want to look at next. Because this is, this is what I would say, is one of the bigger verses right here to look in. What is God really like? What is his traits? What is there to learn about him? God is long-suffering. That's the first thing. It says the Lord is long-suffering. So God is long-suffering with us. With the children of Israel. He is patient with us. He was long-suffering with the children of Israel. He was patient with them in all their transgressions. And he's the same with us. This is what 2 Peter 3.9 says according about his long-suffering. The Lord is not slack concerning his promise. As some men count slackness, but he is long, but, but is long-suffering to us word, not willing that any should perish, but that all should come to repentance. God is patient with us when it comes to repenting and confessing our sins to him. 1 John 1, 9 says, if we confess our sins, he is faithful and just to forgive us our sins and to cleanse us from all unrighteousness. Yeah, that's right. Amen. And guess what? God is also patient, not with just the people that have not confessed the Lord, as Lord and Savior. He's patient with his Christians too. Amen. Because I can use James 4, 6 right here. But he giveth more grace. Wherefore he saith, God resisteth the proud, but giveth grace unto the humble. Amen. God is patient with his people too. That's right. yeah. He is long-suffering to everyone. God gives us more grace when, he, when we fail him because he is long-suffering. And then next, it does not say that his grace that he gives us and that long-suffering that he's to his Christians, to his people, it's not supposed to be used as a license to sin. That's right. What shall we say then? Shall we continue the sin that grace may abound? God forbid. Amen. How shall we that are dead to sin live any longer therein? Romans 6, 1-2. God forbids that we use grace as a license to sin. One of my memories in my life, so the first time I ran into this verse was in Sunday school. And it's one of those memories I will probably have for the rest of my life, especially since I think this happened when I was a freshman, middle of freshman year. And so I still remember this. This was like a huge, I guess, turning point for me. The first time I ran into this verse, and I have the recall of it, was in Sunday school. And I... I decided a few weeks before this that it would be okay to use it would be okay to use God's grace as a license to sin. Then God put this verse in my path and basically said that my sinful habits need to be turned around and they need to be changed. They need to be turned around real quick. And the toughest part about all that was the sinful habits that I established during that time when I said that would be okay. It was so hard to remove them. 
It took so long. It took so much prayer trying to get those habits out because of how difficult it was. And that was my punishment for deciding to do that. Because I knew I wasn't supposed to do that. But I decided, I convinced myself, and I tricked myself into thinking that that was okay. And it was so tough. It took years before I could get the, say that that problem, those sins that got put in my life during that time, were out. And don't make the same mistake I did of abusing God's grace to live how you want to. Because in the end, it is nothing but vanity. It was not worth it even trying it at all. It was emptiness. It was terrible. Guess what? I I would say because it got out, God made my life way better. Next, God is of great mercy, compassion, or this is the definition of mercy right here. Compassion or forgiveness shown toward someone whom it is within one's power to punish or harm. God is the judge. It is in his power to punish or to harm us. But guess what? He shows compassion and he shows forgiveness to us. And God's mercy, as described in Lamentations 3.23, they are new every morning. Great is thy faithfulness. The same thing Moses requested. Jesus Christ on the cross asked God to do the same exact thing. Then said Jesus, Father, forgive them, for they know not what they do. And they parted his raiment and cast lots. Luke twenty-two thirty-four. God is a God of great mercy because he has forgiven us our transgressions. And guess what? He is the judge of all the earth. He is the judge of all the earth. And guess what? He is willing to forgive transgressions. That's what mercy is. When we don't deserve it. Because guess what? We are under the punishment. But guess what? He gives us mercy. Amen. And before the Lord, for he cometh, for he cometh to judge the earth. He shall judge the world with righteousness and the people with his truth. Psalms 96, 13. Next, it is says God is a God that forgives iniquity and transgressions. It says forgiving iniquity and transgression. That's what it says right there. 1 John 1, 9. If we confess our sins, he is faithful and just to forgive us our sins and to cleanse us from all unrighteousness. Yeah. Romans 5, 8. But God commanded his love towards us, and while we were yet sinners, yeah. Christ died for us. Amen. In order for God to be so forgiving of iniquity and transgression, he has to be full of mercy and long-suffering yeah. and able to forget. That's right. And... David, in Psalms 51, asked for God to blot out his transgressions. Have mercy upon me, O God, according to thy loving kindness, according unto the multitude of thy tender mercies, blot out my transgressions. 
and and God will do the same thing he did to David as long as we confess our sins, just like David said. That's the reason why David said, blot them out, because he was willing to confess them and admit what he did wrong in Psalms 51. Psalms 51, if you don't know, is about his transgression with Bathsheba. It's about his adultery with Bathsheba. And David had to live with those consequences of that sin. They did not go away. And third, the next point that Moses says right here, and by no means clearing the guilty. God is forgiving and forgives us our sin, but the punishments that we have on this earth do not go away from the sin. We have real consequences for the sins and actions we choose to do that go against God. God still makes us learn from them, and he makes us learn from those transgressions, and he gives a consequence for the sins we choose to indulge in. God forgives the children of Israel, but he still gave the nation a consequence. The consequence is found in verse 22 through 23. Because all those men which have seen my glory and my miracles, which I did in Egypt and in the wilderness, and have tempted me now these ten times, and have not hearkened to my voice, surely they shall not see the land which I swear unto them, their fathers, neither shall any of them that provoked me see it. God gives us consequences for the things we do against them. We commit. But he still forgives them. Amen that he still forgives us for the things that we do wrong. He may still leave the consequences. But he forgives us and he's a forgiving God. And guess what? He still allows us to enter into the kingdom of heaven. As long as we have confessed and admitted that Christ is our Savior and that he died for our sins. He still allows for us. That is a great God right there. But these sins, okay. But these sins will still, still cause us consequences while we are on on earth. This that sin with Bathsheba troubled David for the rest of his life. He had trouble. He lost his kingdom to Absalom because of it. He had to go in hiding because of that's how much trouble that caused. The children of Israel are an example of what can happen with this, but. There are many examples I could use. I just used a few of them, right? I just used two of them um, in the Bible because of someone's sins had consequences down the road. And it says right here that visiting the iniquity of the fathers upon the children unto the third and fourth generation, these sins were going to have an impact on the rest of their family. But to the next point, the final claim of Moses. And now I beseech thee, the iniquity of this people, according to the greatness of thy mercy. And as thou hast forgiven the people, this people from Egypt, even until now. Beseech means urgently and fervently. 
Moses was urgent and he was fervent with asking for God to beseech and to pardon their iniquity. Moses asked God to forgive them. And this is the intercessor picture of Christ. Christ has came into this world. He was born of a virgin. He lived a perfect life. There was no blemish and no flaw found in him. And he died on the cross for our sins. And then God accepted that sacrifice because Christ was raised from the dead on the third day. And then next, we see God's acceptance of the pardon. And the Lord said, I have pardoned them. I have pardoned according to thy words. He does the same with us. He pardons the ones that have confessed to him and admitted that he is a sinner, that they are a sinner. <clears throat> and they have accepted Christ as the Lord and Savior. He, he has pardoned those people just like he pardoned the children of Israel. And God accepted the sacrifice of Christ just like he accepted the pardon that Moses asked. And here's how I know that the pardon was accepted. Because there's two verses that I found that can clearly give you a picture of that God accepting it. Acts 3.15 And killed the prince of life, whom God hath raised from the dead, whereof we are witnesses. And killed the prince of life. The prince of life being Jesus Christ, whom God hath raised from the dead. God hath raised him from the dead. If God did not accept the sacrifice, he would have not raised him from the dead. Because Christ was a perfect lamb. He did no wrong. There's no iniquity found in him. And he bore all the sin of this world. And God accepted his sacrifice. And then another verse that mentions God accepting his sacrifice is Hebrews 12, 2. Because it mentions, and Christ would not be, Christ would be set down on the right hand of the throne of God. Yeah. That's what it mentions in Hebrews 12, 2. Right. So, therefore, if he is set down on the right hand of the throne of God, that means that God, when he raised him up, he put him right there. And since he put him right there, that means that God accepted the sacrifice because he gave him the right hand of the throne. Amen. And, and then, last, last thing I want to look at is the promise that God makes the Moses. But as truly as I live, all the earth shall be filled with the glory of of the Lord. Amen. God made a promise to Moses right there that something is going to happen. Since God lives, all of the earth one day is going to be filled with all his glory. And guess what? God shall rule over 
All of them. One day. And this is how the glory will be established on the whole entire earth. Revelations 24 says, And I saw thrones, and they sat upon them, and judgment was given unto them. And I saw the souls of them that were beheaded for the witnesses of Jesus, and for the word of God, and which had not worship the beast, neither his image, neither have received the mark upon their foreheads as in their hands. And they lived and reigned with Christ a thousand years. That is a time when the whole earth will be filled with his glory. Because Christ will be on the earth and he will be reigning over the earth. It hasn't happened yet, but it will happen one day. And I firmly believe every word in this Bible that it will happen. And Christ will be the ruler of this. And then guess what? He's going to be, he will be the ruler on the earth. And then after that, he'll be a ruler of the new heaven and the new earth, which is to come. But it will only be for those that have confessed Christ as their Lord and Savior. The rest that never accepted Christ are casted into the lake of fire and brimstone. Revelations 20.15 says, And whosoever was not found written in the book of life was cast into the lake of fire. And then, I got a little ahead of myself, and I forgot to mention the new heaven and the new earth to come. I got a little excited. I had a verse about that too. And I just, it's such a great passage that I'm not going to skip over what it is right here. Christ will be the ruler after that, and the shine of it will be the glory of God. On the new heaven and the new earth, the shine of it is the glory of God. Revelations 21-23, and the city had no need of the sun, neither of the moon, to shine in it. For the glory of God did lighten it, and the Lamb is the light thereof. And as I go into conclusion right here, there's a real hope. Don't let anyone fool you. Don't let the devil trick you, because Jesus Christ came to this earth. We know that Jesus Christ lived on the earth. That is proof. And guess what? He died on the cross. That is a fact they have. But people will, the devil will try to fool you. Oh no. He, he wasn't raised from the dead. They just lost his grave. There's an empty tomb. That means something had to happen because God had raised them up from the dead. That is how we know that Christ lives. And the children of Israel are sinners, but they are pardoned by God. And God pardons those that have confessed and called upon him. And if we are going to say that we have not sinned, this is what 1 John 1 8 says. If we, if we say that, if we say that we have no sin, we, we deceive ourselves and the truth is not in us. If we confess our sins, he is faithful and just to forgive us our sins and to cleanse us from all unrighteousness. If we say that we have not sinned, we make him a liar, 
And his word is not in us. And, and we see the picture of an intercessor right here. We as a people have a need for an intercessor because we have all sinned. And we need someone to bridge the gap between God's holiness and us. And that intercessor is Jesus Christ. And he allowed for our sins to be pardoned. And then the thing I want to close with, I don't have this in my notes, but one time I remember that Pastor Mike said, he was talking about, uh, so if he would say, this is what he said, so if he's told somebody to walk across glass from like, from right here all the way to the entrance, right there, for eternal life. He said, and they would do that, but it's so hard for them to, guess what? Come to this altar, or pray a prayer, and ask for forgiveness of sins. They would be right out to walk across glass, barefoot across glass, which is dangerous and unsafe, if they were told that they could have eternal life from just doing that. But it's so much more difficult because uh, confessing to the Lord and accepting, admitting that you're a sinner, believing on Christ, and confessing. Because guess what? The devil is attacking. The devil is trying to stop people from, from confessing the Lord as their Savior. And that's all I have for tonight. Amen. 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 I tell you. What a challenging message we heard tonight. Uh, and you see there's a, there's a division. Did you see how the division, how God split up the ones that trusted him and the ones that didn't? Yeah. Same God still splitting up as well. And you know, Bob, had, he kind of stole my thunder. I was thinking about the First John 1. You know that if we confess our sins, he's faithful and just to forgive us our sins and to cleanse us from all unrighteousness. Did you notice... On either end, there's a bookend. If we say that we have not sinned, and if we say that we have no sin, it's right in the middle of that. Do you realize that's what the devil's trying to do with a lot of people? It's convince them there's a free gift of salvation in Jesus Christ. And he's ready. If you're ready to confess, if you're ready to believe in him, to repent, to trust in Jesus, he's ready to forgive you. But unfortunately, there's the devil trying to convince you you're okay. There's nothing wrong with you. And man, what a good message. But if you're, if you're lost, I'd say today's the day to come to know Jesus Christ. But maybe, just maybe, like Bob said, maybe you've been provoking the Lord in a certain way in your life. You know, I preached this morning. I, I preached from 1 Peter 1. Be ye holy, for I am holy. God wants us to live right. And if our church, if we want revival... It will be from holiness, right? God the Father's holy, right? What did he say? God the Son's holy, and the Holy Spirit's definitely holy. We're not going to have revival without the church getting close to God and taking care of those secret sins. So I'm going to ask everyone to stand. We're going to open up the altar. If you need to come and pray, I'd urge you to come tonight or pray at your seat. Let's just get serious with God. I want a revival, don't you? But, you know, I keep hesitating from putting a date and scheduling things because a lot of times it's so easy to do that, to get a date on the calendar and, you know, get some singers in and some preachers. And, yeah, we'd have some great meetings and, you know, powerful services and different things like that. I want a revival from the inside that just starts with the heart where lives are changed forever.
Is that what you want? Was the Lord trying to point something out to you? It wasn't Bob tonight. That's the Holy Spirit pointing something out and saying, hey, remember Bob said he had to deal with something and it took a while. Is there something you're excusing tonight? Let's just deal with it. Maybe revival starts with that. Maybe revival starts with you turning something around and then somebody in around you sees that turn around and it sparks something in their life. And then they say, I want the God. If, if, if that God can change that in your life, I want that God. Who knows? Who knows? Who knows? We're going to open up the altar tonight. As Brooke sings.